Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 290 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about the world of writing and publishing. I'm Valerie Koo, CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and an awesome supportive writing community. And I'm here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the popular Mapmaker Chronicles and Adaban Cipher book series. How are you, Al? Well, I have a confession to make. Whoa. Okay. That's, Are you ready? Okay. Out of the gate. Great. Is, well, I just figure we might as well get it over and done with. I feel okay. like, you know, that this is, the, this is a quiet, safe space where I can put it all out there on the table. Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Okay. On. So I need to let our listeners know that we're actually recording this in advance. Yes. I know that it feels like you are listening to us in your <laughs> ears as we speak, but in actual fact, we are recording in advance. So... I haven't gone to the Whit Sundays just yet. I'm mm-hmm. nearly there, but mm-hmm. I just wanted um, everyone to know that I can't tell you how my trip went because I don't know. <laughs> but you will be able to tell us in an upcoming episode. I will in an upcoming episode. But just in case people were desperate, you know, wondering how my authorial bikini went, yeah. you know, I just need to. <laughs> we're all to, hanging to, up to know about that. <laughs> everyone says on the edge of their seats to know how that performed. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I just so I just wanted to get that out there. In the, and 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 it's it's really because I'm only thinking of you. I know how upset you all get if our <laughs> trust me, I know because we see it in the podcast community mm-hmm. on Facebook. How upset you get if your episodes are late or if they don't turn up on time or if they're anything if they don't turn up at all. Mm-hmm. So look at me thinking only of you yes. and recording in advance. So there's my confession. Okay, well, that's a good confession. Thank you, yeah. Alison, yeah. for sharing yeah. that. Well, do you have anything else you'd like to share with us? Well, there, I do have some things to share, but they're probably best left <laughs> unsaid <laughs> at this point. How about things about the world of writing and publishing? I've got lots of things to talk about there. Okay. So as people are listening to this podcast, um, I, I am in a whirl of activity. So not, I have, I have, a as whirl. you're listening to this podcast, I have been to the Wit Sundays. I have sunned myself under my hat, long sleeve shirt, and you know, boots. And I <laughs> am back. And I have also, or I am in the process of launching the MS Readathon in the Illawarra, um, because I am an ambassador for the MS Readathon this year. Mm. I am an author ambassador, which is very, very exciting for me. I'm extremely excited to be part of it. I um, was a massive fan of the MS Readathon when I was a kid. Um, and so to actually be an author and to be involved in it at this level with the help of, you know, promoting the, the MS Readathon and the excellent work that they do. Um, is just a is is a huge huge thing for me. So I'm really really excited about that. Um, the the class or school that uh, you know raises the most money for the MS Readathon receives a, an author visit from Al Tate, and I'm pretty excited about that. I'll look forward to to sharing the details of that with you guys later on. The the Readathon takes place you know during the month of August. Kids are encouraged to sign up sponsors, read as many books as they can. The um, the money that they raise goes to the MS Readathon, which then uses the money to help uh, the families of uh, people that have uh, multiple sclerosis (MS) mm. um, and to help them through. And they they run camps and they do all of this amazing work. Um, so you know, it's it's a terrific thing to be part of. I'm I was most chuffed when they asked me to to do that. Um, was more than happy to sign up. I've written a whole lot of you know tips and all sorts of exciting things that will be going out in emails and um, I've recorded some videos which will be on Facebook. So you know I've 
I'm pushing myself outside my comfort zone because, you know, I've never really been a fan of the video. Mm. Um, so I'm really happy that I started um, at the start of this year. I started with my own little, you know, videos on on Facebook um, to, to try and get myself over this thing that I have about yeah. my face being on a screen. Um, I'm really <laughs> pleased that I started doing that because when they asked me to do videos, it wasn't as as quite as you know awful as it would have been had I not had any practice so you know if there's something that really that you don't like if there's yeah. some aspect of the authorial platform that you um, have a bit of a, a, a thing about my suggestion is to start really early and way before you ever think you'll need it um, and 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 get practice in so that when you do need it you at least aren't going to be terrified and a rabbit in a headlight um, so yeah so anyway uh, the details for the MS readathon are at msreadathon.org.au um, I'll have more, you know, updates and things to share about that as time goes on. But so, so that's happening. And then the other thing that's happening is the um, Shoalhaven Readers and Writers oh, Festival, yes. which I, I, uh, regular listeners will know I've been working on for some months now. Yep, I'm yep. the pr- uh, director of the children's program for the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival, um, which is taking place in Nowra on the 26th and 27th of July, which is this week. <laughs> I can't believe it's this week. Um, but I'm really excited to to be part of that and to have um, – we're bringing Jacqueline Harvey and Jack yeah. Heath, who are, of course, amazing rock stars of the literary world, uh, are coming to the Shoalhaven. We are taking them to four schools. They're going to be talking to about, I don't know, 1,500 kids between them on, on Friday. And then on Saturday we have a full program at the Narrow Library where they'll be giving free author talks. We have a story time which features, and I'm so excited about this, because the uh, the theme for the festival is um, adventures in reading. And mm. so what else could we have for our story time but the wonderful Beware the Deep Dark Forest by our very own Sue Whiting, who is, mm. of course, a presenter at the Australian Writers' Centre and has written this wonderful little picture book, but it's a full quest in a picture book. Like, it's amazing. It's the, yeah. the If you want to teach a kid the narrative structure of a quest novel, get the picture book because it mm. just takes you through the whole thing, you know, from start to finish. It's brilliant. Um, so we're doing that. We're going to be having an illustration workshop by local illustrator Cheryl Westenberg. Um, I'm doing a writing workshop um, on, you know, how to uh, – the, the 10 secrets to a great story and it's just going to be a massive day and I, I am very nervous but also very excited about it. Brilliant, absolutely oh, brilliant. Oh, and if you're in the area and you're listening yes. to this and it's not yet Friday, we are having a fundraising mm-hmm. movie event on Friday night at the Roxy Cinema. We are bringing the public to um, Nowra, which won't happen unless we do it, um, and we would love you to come along to that. And you will find all the details of all of these things at shoalhavenreadersandwritersfestival.com.au. If you would like to see what I do in my spare time, even if you're not in the Shoalhaven, go and have a look at our website. Fabulous. All right. So we also want to give a big shout out to Nicole Mellinson from Word Mothers who kindly reviewed our book. Our book. So you want to be a writer, how to get started while you still have a day job. Yes. No, it's very, very exciting. We'd just like to say thank you very much. Um, So Nicole is someone who has been blogging and doing fantastic things in the blogging space for many years now. We've been um, in touch via Twitter and all of those things. You know, she's one of those people, she does regular author interviews. There's a lot of great 
she she describes her her blog, the strapline is resources for women writers, interviews with female authors and reviews of books by women. So she word mothers, she has a very female focus to her to her mm-hmm. site um, and she does terrific work supporting female writers. Um, and I'm so excited that she has reviewed our book and you know has given it a, a lovely review. Um, and that there's a lot of useful, you know, treasure trove of tips and all sorts of exciting things in our um, in our book for for um, writers who are starting out. So, thank you very much for that, Nicole. Very much appreciate it. And we will, of course, put the link um, to the review in the show notes. Yep, and you can find the show notes at soyouwantobearwriter.com.au. All right, uh, and you have a link for us. <laughs> I do have a link for us. This link is this is based on our our conversation last week. You might remember we were talking about clearing out our offices, and I was talking about how I put cle- down. That's the one, and I had cleared all those books out, all of those mm. um, beautiful new books that I had that had been sent for review, etc. Um, I have had cleared them out and given them to the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival for our, a fundraising raffle. Um, but I had to laugh because you know at about the same time as that, I came across this. Um, link on the millions website mm. themillions.com which is called does it spark joy learning to let go of my books and i just thought i would ask you this are mm. you a book hoarder are you someone who mm. who holds on to books forever and ever in a day mm. like outside of me the question i'm asking you the question well the, oh, the, the, okay. the listeners can't respond to me yeah. so i'm asking you <laughs> We will ask them later and they can discuss it in the podcast community. But right now I am actually just conversing with you. Okay. So I used to be a book hoarder. I used to oh, cart my books from share house to share house because I wanted one day to have one of those amazing houses with those amazing libraries, libraries. you yeah. know, that yeah. that was just, there was a whole wing de- dedicated to a library kind of yes. thing. Yes, yes. So from very young... I kept my books with me. I kept, you know, whether I had read them or not, because, you know, there's always the go to, there's always the pile of gonna read, yeah. you know, books. Yeah. And yeah. I carted them overseas and I carted them back from overseas and I carted them from one apartment to another. And they stayed with me because they were one day gonna end up in the aforementioned library. But one day, <laughs> I probably when I was faced with another move and I looked at this endless supply of um, boxes that were so heavy because they were full of books and you've got to get special boxes for books, right, because they are so heavy, I realised I can't carry all of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I... There was a point in time where the number I was drowning, drowning in books, mm. and I knew I had to cull because there were certain books that I had read, and I knew that I actually wasn't, I, I wasn't going to read those books again. Mm. Um, uh, but there were some books that I would read again, and I kept those. But there was a whole stack that, you know, they were good at the time, but I know I'm not going to read it again. So why in the world am I carting them around the whole universe? So I did a massive, 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 massive cull at yeah. that point and I yeah. have tried to stay culled ever since. 
Yes. So you and I have lived the same life because that's exactly, <laughs> like, honestly, that's exactly what happened to me. And, like, I can tell you I was in some share houses. I have mm. been to so many share houses in my time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had exactly the same experience. And the interesting thing about this little post on the millions um, is it raises the question of why we hold on to them. Like why mm. are they so important to us? Apart from the library wing, which, you know, mine also featured the ladder, you know, the ladder that goes along the oh, bookshelves that you could climb up. Yeah, I know, got to have a ladder, right? So, yeah. you know, apart from the library, you know, why why they're so important to us? And um, the author of this piece goes through, Zoe Balagian, I don't, I don't know how you say that, but I'm hoping I've got that right, goes through the process of how she, you know, decided what she was going to cull and what she was going to keep. And it's funny because it's like I've got books that I will never read again, but I have them because I bought them at a certain time in my life yes. or in a certain place in my life. Like I carted back boxes from you know, I lived in, in, in England for two years and I carted back boxes from there and those mm. books, they're, they're, they're like they're penguin orange cover ones. What are they called? Um, yeah. Out of my popular penguins. Um, like uh, they're those, but I, which I could replace in a second for $9.95, mm. but yeah. I'm not ever going to because I yeah. bought them, you know, in a place at a time. Um, and there are some that are obviously, you know, major favourites. I've got a whole, a whole shelf full of ro- books about writing, which I will hang yes. on to forever and a Me day. Me too. Me too. Um, but there's an awful lot of stuff that I don't keep anymore. And it's funny because people always say to me, oh, Al, I thought you'd be someone who who held on to books forever. And I think I've become less and less like that as I've got yep. older. Um, and I tend to also buy uh, so uh, crime novels. I read a lot of crime mm-hmm. novels. I buy them as e-books now because yes. once you've read a crime novel once, you're not generally well, going to go back to it. Yeah, no. Um, you, know what, the, you know who's well, the, done it. It's funny, the only ones I've kept are Adrian McKinty's novels and mm. he's just got a new one out called The Chain, which I'm really looking forward to reading. But it's I'm a bit disappointed because it's not a Sean Duffy one. I get very attached to characters um, mm. and I loved his Sean Duffy series. But anyway, I'll give it a crack. Um, so I've got those as, as, um, as print and I'll keep those. And Kate Atkinson's wonderful, wonderful Jackson Brody series, oh. I have those as print and I do actually reread those occasionally because, again, character and she mm-hmm. writes so beautifully. Um, even though I know what's going to happen, even though I know the crime and how it works, I still enjoy them as a character-led story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other ones that I've kept, interestingly, is my selection of Ellis Peters' um, Brother Cadfail mystery novels which sounds like a strange thing to hang on to. But I started reading them when I had to do a a section at uni on medieval crime mysteries. Like that was actually a thing that I did. Um, And I started reading them then and I adored them and I've still got those. So there are certain things that you kind of keep, but for the most part, I am a, I'm a chucker. I'm gone. They're out the door. (laughs) I give them to someone else who will love them as well. That's what I do. Very, very important. Oh, yeah, I never chuck, chuck. I no, no, always no. give them to somebody else yeah. who will but, love them. you know, we would love to hear your thoughts on this. Are you a hoarder or are mm. you someone who can actually, you know, curate and manage a small collection of books that you love? Please talk to us about it in the podcast community so that Val doesn't feel like she's the only one being interrogated <laughs> on this subject. <laughs> and, of course, join us in the podcast community on Facebook. It's free to join. Uh, just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join we'd love to have you in there it's awesome group of people awesome group of people all right so let's move on to our giveaway this week thanks to palace films we have 10 double passes to who you think i am which is in cinemas first of august 
Academy Award winner Juliette Binoche stars as a divorced mother whose life is upended after becoming entangled in an online relationship with dangerous repercussions. Part psychological drama, part thriller, this film is sure to spark fierce post-screening conversations and it's based on the novel by Camille Lawrence. So go to writercentercomau slash win if you would like the opportunity to win one of 10 double passes. Entries close on the 29th of July, 2019. That's writercentercomau slash win. All right, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Always ready, Val, always ready. Okay, so it's spitchcock, <laughs> S-P-I. T C H cock spitchcock. Do you know what it is? No. Has it got Hitchcocky and things though? Are there psycho psychos involved? Oh no. <laughs> I would never have thought of that. But oh. you might think that it's like spatchcock, the poor little oh. bird that you eat at the fancy restaurants with a typo. But it's not. I cannot bring myself to eat spatchcock. But anyway, um, it no, is, however, or quail. Oh, I know the poor little bird. Anyway, it it is, however, another kind of food. It refers to an eel split, cut into pieces, and grilled or fried. Okay, Spitch I'm cock. just gonna. I don't really have anything to say about that. That's probably fit for publication. Except so that, let's leave it. Well, except that maybe you would neither eat or order off a menu spatchcock or spitchcock. No, neither. Uh, no, no, definitely not. If anyone has ever used spitchcock in a sentence, or eaten then it. please, or eaten it, then please share. Okay. Okay. So who is our writer in residence this week, Al? Oh, this week we are talking to Matt Stanton, who is the author of the incredibly popular, you know, Funny Kid series, mm. but also writes picture books um, with his wife. And we had a very interesting conversation about his process because the thing I found really interesting about him is he actually comes from a graphic design background and I think if you look at his books you can kind of see that um but they they are incredibly incredibly popular books and they are wonderful to look at like they do I can see why kids love them um and then he also writes these terrific very graphic little um picture books uh that kids adore and that do very very well in sort of you know uh, prizes and all of that kind of stuff with his wife Beck and I asked him about how that went like the marital mm. <laughs> the marital harmony when mm. the creative differences come up so um, yeah so let's have a listen to Matt In seven years, children's author and illustrator Matt Stanton has created 23 original titles, four best-selling series, and sold more than 800,000 books. In 2017, his premier middle-grade series, Funny Kid, which he writes and illustrates, debuted as the number one Australian kids' book and is now finding fans all over the world. The latest instalment in the series, Funny Kid Slapstick, is out now. Welcome to the program, Matt. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Alison. All right, so let's go back over those relatively short seven years. Like, let's face it, you've you produced a lot of work in seven years. What was your first book and how did it come to be published? So the first book that, uh, that I published, I created with a friend of mine, Tim Miller, and, uh, and that was a picture book, uh, and it was called There's a Monster Under My Bed Who Farts. <laughs> And uh, not leaving much to the imagination there. And uh, so Tim 
uh, Tim and I both worked in book publishing at the time. I was a graphic designer and art director, right. uh, designing book covers for, for all sorts of different books. And uh, Tim worked in, in the kids' marketing team. And we both, we both wrote, like we were both at home at night working on our various projects. I was working on an adult thriller. Tim was working on, uh, on an adult fantasy novel. And, uh, and we'd been talking and, and we would, we would walk to the, we would walk to the local servo every afternoon and get a drink and kind of catch up on the day each day. And we'd started chatting about, about kids books and picture books. And, uh, and we started throwing around ideas and, uh, and the idea of creating something funny, I wrote and drew Tim writes and we, um, and I was designing. And so we started sort of dreaming up different ideas for picture books and then um and then we really created that first one for fun um so i i have always wanted to be a writer since i was seven years old and that was the whole reason i was working in book publishing in the first place was to try and learn the industry but that first kids picture book really kind of came about almost by accident that's really interesting because you know the yeah okay i'm gonna ask you a little bit about your sort of you know the writing and illustrating because you always wanted to be a writer but you ended up in graphic design and art direction so what happened there like was it did you, you've obviously always been interested in both and that's what won out or how did that work well so i i left high school knowing that i wanted to to be an author um but obviously there's no there's no job ads out there for <laughs> novelists <laughs> apply here. Yeah. So, um, so I needed, uh, I needed another, I needed a kind of plan B career really. And so, uh, so for a little while there, I thought I was going to be a lawyer. I went off to uni and, and started heading down that track. Um, but then sort of had this moment of what am I doing? I'm, I'm heading off somewhere that I, I'm not passionate about the law um, and and I'm really passionate about books and I'm kind of, I'm not anywhere near where I, the sort of space that I want to be. And so I was thinking about publishing. I was thinking about the book industry and I'd read all, I'd read all of the advice online about query letters and how to make sure your, your manuscript submission gets read and all of that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and what I, the thing that sort of caught my imagination was, well, hang on, there's a whole group of people on the other side of this. There's the publishing industry. There's the, there are the people who decide what gets published and what doesn't. And I want to learn how that works. And so, so that I can understand sort of the business of this and how, how books are selected, why some books connect with readers, why some don't, why, why, why some books are put at the front of the bookshop and others aren't, all of that, those sorts of questions. I realised I knew nothing about it. So I, um, I contacted the closest publishing house to my house, <laughs> which, which was HarperCollins, right. and, um, and just started harassing their human resources department for any entry-level job I could get. Right. And uh, I said, I'll make coffee, I'll sweep floors, I'll do anything. I just want to be in the building and start to learn where I can. And in the end, an admin job opened up in the design and production department, uh, which I got, uh, <laughs> purely to shut me up, I think. <laughs> and uh, so my job was to do people's timesheets and and uh, and open the mail and, and all of that sort of stuff. But I realized when I was there 
that there was this whole career of book designer, which had never occurred to me before. My two sort of favorite subjects at school were always English and art. Um, and it had never occurred to me that there is this, there is this career path that kind of combines these two passions really, really well. And so I, I stayed at HarperCollins, but I went to uni at night and I got uh, a graphic design qualification. And then I kind of worked my way up the ladder at HarperCollins over 13 years um, and ended up becoming their, their head of design and art director. And uh, all the time learning how the industry worked, learning how books get made, uh, learning how books get sold, uh, and all the time writing at night, working on a whole range of different projects from from sort of adult literary fiction to thrillers to screenplays. Nothing of nothing happened with any of those projects, but I was always kind of working on that craft and knowing that at some point things might come into line and an opportunity might open up. And that turned out to be children's books, which I then realised was perfect for me and what I'm most passionate about. Um, so it's been a really uh, interesting story. It's really interesting. So you've got a whole raft of, of adult sort of manuscripts sitting there on your computer just lurking away at you like, you know, would you ever go back to those? Is that something that you would ever revisit, do you think? Maybe. I'm not sure. I, at the moment I'm really passionate about about kids publishing. Uh, I love that that when you're when you're creating books for readers at this sort of primary school age and and high school, although I've I've not written for high school yet, um, you really have the potential to to really impact somebody's life, and I mean that in the sense that you can, um, you potentially the book that you create can turn someone who is not a reader into a reader, uh, and the idea that they may go on and then read. Uh, books that are much more important than mine, um, and and have a life of reading uh, is incredibly exciting to me. So I really like working in this space, particularly with reluctant readers, uh, particularly with uh, with kids in kind of early primary school. Um, I, I find that incredibly meaningful and stimulating at the moment. Uh, so that's kind of all I'm thinking about. But you know. Never say never, and 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 those projects are there, and my books on who becomes a terrorist and why are all sort of still in a box somewhere. Just see, use one of those in a funny kid book yeah, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> use that theory. That work yeah. out well. Um, all right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about farts for a moment because that's kind of where you started. And you know, generally yeah. speaking, when you're talking to children's authors, at some point farts will come up. Uh -huh. um, so you started out with farts, and you've also recently, I think you and Tim have just released a new sort of junior fiction series regarding farts. Is that right? Have yeah. So we that? created we created this fart monster character. Um, which uh, was basically just a riff off the, the idea of a monster being under the bed and then what happens if you invert that concept. So what happens if rather than the monster under the bed being scary, that uh, what happens if the monster under the bed is smelly? And, uh, and so, so we, we created three picture books in that series as well as um, a number of other bodily function-themed uh, picture books. Uh, and... Uh, and then, and then what we've done is we've taken that um, that fart monster character into kind of very early novels. Right. Uh, and Tim Tim writes these ones, and I I illustrate them. Yeah. And so uh, 
so they're 64 pages, a thousand words, um, black and white, um, to, to help kids potentially who, who are using school readers and things like that, but are looking for, um, for subject matter that's a bit more entertaining to them. Um, so, uh, so they're, they're kind of junior novels in that space and we've done four of those so far. Okay. And farts are funny because clearly they must be because kids are, you know, that's, that's the sort of the theme of a lot of particularly early primary sort of work. Sure. You'll see them come up a lot. You're drawing them. Like I'm pretty fascinated by how you <laughs> actually do that, but it must it's clearly a skill that you've acquired over some time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, you know, 10,000 hours, you know, if you put the work in, you get there. <laughs> yeah. All of that. <laughs> All right. So as an illustrator, you work, you know, you work with Tim, but you also mm. work on picture books with your wife, best-selling yes. picture book creator, Beck Stanton. Um, do you enjoy that collaborative aspect as an illustrator of, of, you know, creating work with somebody else? Yeah, I do, particularly when it's completely collaborative. I think that's – that's. I've only done one project where – which was kind of a more traditional illustration job where I illustrated a picture book that had been written by, um, by another author. Yeah. Uh, that the publisher had already acquired the manuscript. They were looking for an illustrator. Um, and so, so I've done one of those projects, but what I find much more kind of creatively rewarding is, is working really collaboratively on the whole concept of the book. Uh, and just the, especially when you're creating funny books, the freedom to, to look at every aspect of the book, all the way through the project in the interests of trying to find the funniest angle or the, the most surprising or interesting approach. So kind of where nothing is sacred, if you like. <laughs> so, um, so I find that very helpful, um, being a designer as well, because as far as I'm concerned, I've kind of got three toolboxes that I can dip into the, the writing, the illustrating and the design all to kind of, to look for the funniest opportunity all the way through. And so, um, so Beck and I, uh, Tim and I work, um, very collaboratively. Uh, and then obviously Beck and I, um, being married, um, it, it's a, it's another level of collaboration again. Like it's, it's, it's in well, the my house. Question, it's... Yeah. I was going to say my question there was like working that closely together. Like, do you, do you ever have artistic differences that, you know, end up with flinging wooden spoons at each other across the kitchen or anything fun like that? Uh, not quite as dramatic as that <laughs> oh, now, for, for, the, for your podcast. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, uh, certainly artistic differences, and certainly it's a it's a process of um of of working it through. What what we tend to do mostly is is a lot of certainly that so the series that Beck and I have done together uh, is the books that drive kids crazy series as this is a ball. Uh, did you take the B from my book? Uh, the book that never ends. Um, there's five of those. And, um, and these are read out loud interactive picture books. And so, um, so they're very concept driven. And so most of the work in creating those books is really nailing that concept and so that happens between Beck and I in conversation over time. And it's, it's 
while we're washing up it's while we're bathing kids it's 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 while we're driving it kind of just fully integrates into our family life um and and so we're bouncing ideas back and forth off each other um then the actual building the book uh is uh is kind of because we both write we both illustrate we're both working on the design so um so sometimes we're sitting down together sometimes we're sort of taking it in turns working on the manuscript for a bit flipping it back to the other to to have a go um but it um i mean it 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 becomes quite similar i guess to to any other aspect of of uh, of being in a partnership with someone a sort of a life partnership with someone is that you're you're kind of working things out and 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 collaborating and um yeah we really enjoy it that's that's been really good do you do you think that the idea like there's that idea that picture books are harder to get right because every word and image has to you know work the hardest it possibly can do you think that's true like as someone who has you know done longer works as well as picture books as well as worked in you know book design etc do you think that 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 notion about picture books being among the more difficult things to do is true uh not really <laughs> as in as in i think i think i just think they're different yeah so i probably wouldn't say one is harder than the other um i think certainly with a with a picture book every there's a lot of there's a lot of weight on every word on on every rhyme on every uh like everything on the page really has to to work really hard and and, and there's nowhere for anything to hide really um but but I wouldn't say that's harder than a novel. Um, it's a, it's kind of a different canvas, I think, uh, and this, the um, the the interaction between words and images is quite different. Um, uh, there's a lot more storytelling that needs to happen through the visuals, um, and and so how those two narratives interact becomes really important, uh, and that can be quite delicate to to get right. Well, that was a question I was going to ask you because, you know, your Funny Kids series is very graphic. Like, I can totally see why reluctant readers love it. I particularly, like, I was flicking through. I've got a couple of the latest um, issues, uh, the latest, you know, books here. Um, mm. And I've got Funny Kid Get Licked, which is the one that is before Slapstick. And I, yeah. I love the opening pages. Like, I, if I was a kid, you know, the opening page shows this, you know, she shows Funny Kid with stop. If you're allergic to animals, put this book down immediately. And I'm in, like I'm over the page and going, you know, what's happening? And then you lead me through that into the into the actual, you know, start of the book, et cetera. Um, mm. Is that, you know, is that something that you, do you plan that out from the start? Like are you planning it from start to finish or are you working images in organically as you're writing? Um, I'm, so those the sort of the prelim pages there that that have the character leading you through that's that's something i sort of bring in towards the end of the process right so i always know that i'm going to do it the the general idea being that these books are designed to to really suck kids in to to draw them through the book i want them to i want them to laugh their way through the book and kind of not even realize they read it that's the kind <laughs> of the feeling that i want i want to have happen um and so uh so traditionally in a, in a novel, you've got sort of f- five to six pages at the front that have title page, dedication, the copyright page, uh, all of those sorts of just standard um, 
introductory pages to a book. Uh, and I didn't want to, I didn't want kids to have to flick through them before the story started. So, so it's like, well, how can I, um, how can I use those pages? How can I make them work just as hard? Um, the, in terms of sort of what comes first the, or how does the process work, illustration and, and writing, um, it's, it's become quite traditional for me now as in I would I write the full manuscript first right. and then I, um, and then, and then what we do, it's quite a, it, um, we've had to work out a really good collaboration with the team at HarperCollins at, at ABC Books that publish yeah. these, yeah. where, uh, where the book goes in, the book is all laid out into pages at their end, so it comes back to me in the in the design style of Funny Kid, but without any of the illustrations in it, and then I go through and I look, I'm I'm looking at kind of each spread, so each double page spread. Where is the opportunity for humour here? Where is the opportunity to use? I kind of I want illustrations on almost every double page spread to keep it visually interesting um, for kids at that age group. And so I'm looking for opportunities where I can pull the story through through sort of a more cartoon sort of uh, style. So I can. If, if there's a lot of dialogue happening between two characters, well, maybe that can happen in kind of speech bubbles. So it, it breaks in and out of that all the way through. Okay. Um, yeah, so it's that sort of process. So how long, does it, how long does a process like this take? Like, I mean, you said you write the manuscript first. Is there a drafting mm. process for that before you even send it off to, um, you know, send it off? And then you've got to go through it all again and then you've got to add the illustrations. Like what is the time frame for this kind of work? So I, I deliver a manuscript to the publisher a year before it comes out. Yep. So, um, so the, um, so I've probably worked on it for about three months prior to that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's quite, I approach Funny Kid as a sitcom. Right. So I write it as a sitcom for kids. Right. So, um, so I've got I've, got, I've developed this cast of characters with these books. And so, and for each of these characters, so there's five, five kids and a duck. And, uh, and so, so for each of those, each of those characters, I know their kind of deep drivers, the things that, that, um, that motivate them. And so, uh, and a, a couple of those characters are, are really deliberately set opposite each other uh, so that it, it creates these nice recipes for conflict really naturally and then what i'm looking for is uh storylines that spring from those from those character traits so max the funny kid is basically um trying to prove his greatness all the time and so he believes he believes in his own greatness he just believes he's undiscovered and so uh so he's incredibly competitive so I can kind of throw a situation at Max and I kind of know what he's going to do with it. He's going to look for the opportunity uh, to, um, to win. So in, in Get Licked, which you mentioned before, it's a, it's, a, it's a competition in the class to raise money for an animal charity so that each of the kids, they can get into groups, they have to choose an animal charity and they have to raise as much money across the week as they can for their animal charity. And so... He is obsessed with uh, with trying to win this competition. For, for Max, it's not about the animals. It's not about the philanthropy. It's about uh, it's about beating his classmates through whatever kind of crazy means he can come up with. 
Funny Kid Slapstick, which is is the new one. Uh, the kids are all kind of forced against their will to join a junior ice hockey team, and uh, and so Max, who hates sport, suddenly becomes obsessed with the idea that hang on, if he does this well, he could become a champion. And, uh, and there's nothing more enticing to Max than being a champion. So I, I throw these kind of story concepts at the characters and then I've got quite a formulaic way of, of kind of plotting that out. Um, then I write dialogue first. Um, so I basically script the whole book and then, um, uh, and then I, I work in around that. So it's these layers. I, I approach writing the way that I approach drawing, which is is layer upon layer upon layer and with each layer you're looking for for humor opportunities okay so so the funny and funny kid comes from characters and situations it's not you trying to string a whole bunch of jokes together that you've you know thought up in advance or anything like that oh definitely yes um yes i'm not a big fan of jokes actually (laughs) as in in i think i think and i talk about this when i visit schools quite a lot is um is the power of storytelling and storytelling to make your friends laugh, and uh, and how to construct a story, and how to how to the the sort of the all of the options that are available to you, whether it be funny words or conflict or odd characters that are available to you in 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 bringing out humour in your storytelling. I find that much more interesting than trying to remember this joke word for word. Yeah, definitely. I'm terrible at jokes. Um, so. You are, like you talk about speaking, you are in demand as a speaker and you actually even have your own Matt Stanton TV channel, which is highly impressive. Um, but is talking about and promoting your work something that comes naturally to you or is that something you've had to kind of work work at to sort of build your, you know, thing that you do? Sure. it's It fascinates me how much a, of a different skill set it is to the rest of the work that we do as writers. Yeah. So most of the time we sit in a room by ourselves <laughs> in silence <laughs> or in whatever environment we've crafted to work away on our kind of solo project. Uh, and then the other side of the job is go and stand up in front of 900 kids and keep them engaged for an hour, uh, which is a totally different skill set. Um so it's something that I have to work on. Um, I don't mind being up in front of people. That doesn't. That's not a fear or anything for me. Um, but I definitely see it as acting. Right. So, um, so I um, I perform if that makes sense. Like uh, um, I need to I need to engage them. I need to hold their attention, and and so that becomes a storytelling challenge in itself the story of the the presentation that I'm giving, yeah. the the way that works together. So you also, like, because this is the other thing I've always thought quite interesting because you write funny books and that brings the expectation that you will also be funny in person. See, I don't have the <laughs> expectation of being funny because my books are not particularly, like, they're not wildly humorous. So sure. does that bring... I mean, clearly I am funny when I get there. Like of that's, course. Let's not even go there. But, you know, right. it's not the expectation. Whereas you have the expectation. Do you think that that brings added pressure or is that just a natural extension of your writing voice? It just sort of comes out. It is an added pressure. And I've been I've been talking a little bit recently to people about the, the vulnerability of that mm. because when you're 
clearly trying to be funny. And, you know, I've called my series Funny Kid. I'm shamelessly (laughs) trying to be funny. Um, It's quite exposing because you fail very publicly. (laughs) And so so there's kind of nowhere to hide. Um, I... I think it's important. I, I find the best way to encourage kids that I might be seeing in a school to read one of my books is that the session itself needs to be funny. I need I need them to have a really great time uh, and have really laughed while we've while we've learnt things about story structure and 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 all of that. Um, that that's going to be the best means for a kid to pick up one of my books at least. Um, and so, so yes, there is the there is the pressure to be funny, um, and and that's just a real case of trial and error. I really love spending time with with the kids. I really really enjoy that, and so um, and I love the fact that kids don't laugh politely. So uh, so you you you're you're really exposed, and you and you learn quickly, and. Um, and and with each session that I'm doing, I, whether it be at a writers' festival or in a school, I'm I'm reflecting on that and kind of honing that session. It becomes a it becomes a presentation, or in the way that a stand-up comic would work, it, they're doing stand-up comics mostly are doing the same routine every night, yeah. and they're perfecting it and perfecting it and perfecting it, and that's how I think about school presentations. Okay, have you ever had a complete disaster? Have you oh, ever yeah. had a situation where you've got up there and there's just been nothing? You got nothing. Yep, definitely. What did you yeah. do? Did you cry? <laughs> I would cry. <laughs> um, sometimes, well, that's the thing. You never know what you're really what you're walking into. Um, kids, kids are different at different times of the day. Mm. So, so that session, that session after lunch is a doozy yeah. because they're kind of half checked out. They've just spent an hour running around and sweating, and uh, and they're kind of all hyped up. Um, and so sometimes that's helpful, and sometimes it's it's difficult. Uh, sometimes you you're not quite in front of the age group that's perfect for your books. Yeah. Um, so um, so I had one school where I ended up. I didn't realize this until I was in the session that I was in front of years six and seven. Oh. Now my Funny kid books, um, sort of. Certainly, year six is still doable, um, and except for the kids that have kind of moved. The, the sort of really good readers have moved on to other things, um, but um, but certainly by year seven, uh, that's a bit too cool for school. So um, so that uh, that was crickets, and <laughs> you've just got to just got to get through it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, I guess, <laughs> we've all been there, don't worry. Year yeah. nine boys, Friday afternoon, that's all I'm saying. Yes. Um, so your... High school terrifies me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> really, it terrifies all of us, trust me. <laughs> um, so I guess then you, you're, all you can do there is, you know, fall back on your preparation. You just have to go through what you've prepared and do what you've done. Is that is that what you do in a situation like that? Sort of. I I tend to still try, like... I'll try and reach that audience for the entire session. Yeah. And so, um, so I will kind of modify into um, sort of the older the kids get, the more I will give them kind of behind the scenes. Yeah. Look, this is a, this is a picture of my 
career and my work and this is what I do and you can just kind of be interested in that or not that's up to you but um but um yeah I think what I've found really helpful is the more interactive it is the better the more they get to speak into the session the better so I've started doing this thing just in the last couple of months where I I open a session with students by asking them to tell me the most exciting thing that's ever happened in their life. So I basically get them to start storytelling and I riff off them. Yeah. And, and that creates a really nice connection really early on between, between the audience and myself. But it also, it also gives me a pretty good taste of the room and, um, and which kids are, um, which which kids are, are really engaged um, and kind of what the what the tone is, so I find that really helpful and and so I will I will go more and more interactive. I will engage. I will free them up to speak as much as they can about whatever they want to speak about. Sort of the harder the room is. Yeah, yeah, and that, I think that also I think that comes with confidence as well because I think that's the kind of thing like once you've done your once you've spoken to lots and lots of different school audiences, you have much more confidence in your ability to manage a room because I think that that's one thing. I remember when I first started out doing school talks, you know, and you'd be sitting there and there'd be like a hundred year sevens looking back at you and you'd just be thinking, oh, you know, all I can think about is my own children who were about that age going, God, mum, you're so uncool. Do you know what I mean? There's sort of that <laughs> yes. in your head the whole time. But I yeah. find as I do more of those sorts of things, I get, I, I, you know, Maybe I'm just getting too old to care. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 totally. Um, uh, it's it's like anything, right? It's just it's doing it over and over again. It's Practice. it's yeah, it's getting up there. Um, yeah, when it goes and knowing that sometimes it goes well and sometimes it doesn't, and there's only a degree to which that's within your control, and so um, so you just go and do your thing. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. And now we're going to finish up today with our top three tips for writers. Hit me with your top three tips, Matt Stanton. So uh, two of my top three tips are pretty generic. They're the ones that I I give to kids all the time. And the third one is a little bit less common. Uh, So the first one, and and most of the time I'm answering this question to kids, but I think it applies to anybody, uh, is to read widely. Um, and, uh, that's something that I, having worked in publishing for 13 years, uh, you read a lot for, for work. And I know as writers, we read a lot for work. Um, and I've had to really train myself, particularly in the last two years, I've kind of made it a bit of a project for myself to, to get back to reading just for the love of it. Um, and to build that into your, um, into your kind of weekly rhythm so i'm this year i'm all about reading a book a week so that's what that's what i'm um i'm trying to do uh and i'm pretty close to being on track so far so that's fun um and so so reading and reading widely and reading not just in the space that you're writing i think is really important to um to stimulate um to stimulate your thinking uh and to to open you up to ideas that you might just stumble across uh, the second one is to, to write lots and not to worry about not finishing things. 
Uh, I know that that was a really big thing for me as a kid was like, oh, I've, I've got to finish everything. Like if, if I don't finish it, then it wasn't, then it was a waste of time. Um, and I think that pressure is sometimes unhelpful. Okay. There are, there are times when you, you need to finish what you start. Yeah, so if you want to get published, you need to finish it. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, um, but I think there's also value in, in trying things and, and freeing yourself up to experiment in your writing. And if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't go anywhere, that's all right. No one has to read, try something else. So, so sort of freeing ourselves up. Sometimes we get a little bit intense. I know I do. Uh, and so that's kind of helpful. And then, uh, and then the third thing, um, is that I encourage, I encourage kids to share what they're creating. So um, find a way to take the thing that you're working on and you're writing and, uh, and open it up to other people, which is incredibly scary. Yeah. And, um, and there are good ways of doing that and there are bad ways of doing that um, in terms of sort of who, who you show your work to. But I think it's really important both in terms of um, – sort of improving, which is usually the way that's kind of talked about, like find someone who's going to give you helpful but constructive criticism, um, but also to have the experience of someone really enjoying your work. Um, the sort of pivotal moment for me was as an 11-year-old being forced to read my funny story that I'd just written in class to the entire school assembly, which I was terrified of doing. And I was short and shy and, uh, and didn't want to do it. Um, but when I got up there and I read my story, not with much expression, and it made kids laugh, and not just my friends but kids who were much cooler than me, I had this incredibly empowered moment of like, wow, the thing that I've just, has just come out of my imagination can bring joy to other people. Uh, and that's incredibly motivating and inspiring. So I kind of I want people to experience that. Yes. Uh, and the only way you experience that is by being willing to be vulnerable enough to share what you've created. Fantastic advice. Thank you so much. If you would like to have a look at Matt Stanton's excellent work, you can find him at mattstanton.net. And it is a very, very nice website, I must say, Matt Stanton. Um, thank you so much for your time today. We really, really appreciate it. And best of luck with the latest Funny Kid instalment. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our popular five-week online course in Copywriting Essentials will teach you how to turn your writing skills into a weapon of mass persuasion. Learn the seven steps to creating compelling copy, how to take a creative brief, the secrets of SEO and much more so you can begin earning good money immediately. Learn online from wherever you are and get your own tutor providing personal feedback on your writing. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash essentials. There we go. Matt Stanton. Great interview. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, it was good. You know, like I, you, never, you never lose, do you, when you sit down no. to talk to an author or an illustrator or a publisher so or you just mm. never lose. I think it's always fantastic. Yeah. All right. So uh, where do we find you online, Al? 
Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And you'll find the show notes at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>